0: Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply.
1: He has a lot of great ideas. He's not a stupid man. He's worth $9 billion. I feel like our country is going down the drain. He is actually a very
0: intelligent man who cares deeply about America. There is no question that this is the person who will go to Washington, D.C. and be able to absolutely turn the place around.
2: Welcome to TrumpCast, a new Slate podcast about the national emergence, or should I say the national emergency, of Donald Trump. I'm your host, Jacob Weisberg, chairman and editor-in-chief of the Slate Group, and I want to tell you what we're going to do on this program. We intend to take the Trump phenomenon seriously, talking to historians, psychiatrists, and other experts who can help explain why this thing is happening right now in the United States of America. We aren't going to shy away from using terms like racism, fascism, or orange hair. But our goal here isn't to mock Trump, or not just to mock Trump. I want to try to better understand who this man really is and why he's on his way to the Republican nomination, and maybe the White House. I intend to talk to Trump supporters on this show as well, because I think we need them to help us wrap our heads around what's going on. My Slate colleagues and I are going to put out this show at least a few times a week until the fever breaks and politics goes back to being about something other than Donald Trump. That could be a couple of weeks. It could be until November. I sure as hell hope it's not eight years. For our inaugural show today, I'm going to be talking to Slate's chief political correspondent, Jamel Bowie, who wrote the best article I read over the weekend. But first, let's hear from the man himself. Here are some of Trump's tweets from at Trump, read for you by Gabriel Roth.
1: U.S. Secret Service did an excellent job stopping the maniac running to the stage. He has ties to ISIS should be in jail. The failing at NY Times is truly one of the worst newspapers. They knowingly write lies and never even call to fact check. Really bad people. Because Governor Kasich cannot run in the state of Pennsylvania, he cannot win the nomination and should not be allowed to compete in Ohio on Tuesday. Bernie Sanders is lying when he says his disruptors aren't told to go to my events. Be careful, Bernie, or my supporters will go to yours. Governor Kasich of Ohio just stated on a morning show that he doesn't watch politics or anything on television. He only watches the at Golf Channel. We are asking law enforcement to check for dishonest early voting in Florida on behalf of little Marco Rubio. No way to run a country.
2: My guest right now is Jamel Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent. He wrote a fantastic article this week called How Trump Happened, which argues that the racist dimension to Trump's support is a reaction mainly to Barack Obama. Uh, Jamel, you're in Austin, Texas?
0: Yes, that's right. I am uh, here officially for South by Southwest, but it's really just been an excuse for me to hang out with some college
2: friends. Uh, I'm envious. I think I hear birds tweeting in the background. Uh, Yes. (laughs) uh, Everybody is talking about your article in Slate today about Trump, racism, and Obama. And I just wanted to ask you about it. To start out, you know, in 2008 and 2012, we had a black candidate, Barack Obama, on the ballot. And open racism and debate about racism was much less of a factor and feature of the campaign than this time. Why are we getting it now and not then?
0: I think the reason we're getting it now and not then is, and it it sounds a little tautological, but because then we just didn't have any major political figure who was willing to openly court that kind of racism. And so even though I think in the 2008 McCain campaign and the 2012 Romney campaign, Republican candidates sort of touched on things that could be linked to racial resentment, no one was willing to outright attract or court or or, or simply stand with racists, uh, to put it frankly. And that is not the case in this year's uh, election. And I think that fact has brought a lot of stuff that's been bubbling underneath the surface and that social scientists have been picking up on for the last seven years. I think it's brought it all to the surface.
2: So what's the evidence that this is racism? If you go to a Trump rally or I go to a Trump rally, we hear it and feel it. But if you ask Donald Trump or ask his supporters, of course, they don't think they're racist at all. So what's the evidence that that's what's going on here?
0: It's multifaceted. The first is that political scientists um, and other social scientists have picked up on a noted increase in what's called racial resentment since Obama's election. And racial resentment is the social science term for attitudes that don't fall under what people I think would recognize as old-fashioned racism, but are attitudes um, about African Americans that are racially infected and also tied to conservative ideas about progress and and sort of um, American identity. And so uh, social scientists usually use a questionnaire, and the questionnaire has questions like, you know, could black Americans get ahead if they worked harder? Is a country doing too much for blacks? So on and so forth. And people who score high on this, who answer those questions in the affirmative, or um, score high in racial resentment. And that's correlated with a lot of different political uh, outcomes. So there's been an increase in the number of Americans who score high on racial resentment uh, questionnaires. Uh, There's also been an increase in the number of Americans who express what's called, you know, old-fashioned racist ideas um, about the superiority of whites or the inferiority of blacks, so on and so forth. And these sorts of things have been consistent, they've been replicated, and they've been concentrated within among Americans who consider themselves Republicans. So to a certain degree, I'm kind of making an inference, right, that like, if X is true and Y is true and Z is true, then I have to assume that uh, this variable that I just found the letters for is also true.
2: So you're saying there are measures of conscious racism and there are measures of unconscious racism, and they both correlate pretty well with support for Donald Trump. Yes. What about Trump himself? I mean, do you think that this is a man who holds racist beliefs? Is he an unconscious racist? Where do you where do you put him?
0: I mean, I think he certainly does. Um, you know, between his comments about. Latino immigrants, Um, uh, you know, anti-black racism is pretty much verboten in mainstream society. It's very, you you can't say things like that and expect to stay um, in the good graces of the mainstream, but anti-black racist ideas and beliefs are are still pretty common, and I would be surprised if Trump does not hold them. Um, The fact that he was sort of the leader of the birther movement against President Obama would indicate that he does. And I think one thing is worth that's worth noting and what has been observed by social scientists is that people who hold racist ideas and beliefs don't necessarily understand those ideas and beliefs as being racist, right and so you may someone may think you know blacks uh, aren't as intelligent as whites and see that as a simple objective description of a reality and not some kind of racist idea. And so when people gristle. Against the idea that I mean, they said it may be racist, and often is tied to this sense that the racist thing they believe is not actually racist.
2: Yeah, but it's interesting. Bigotry against African Americans is more taboo than bigotry against Latinos or against Muslims. So, for example, you think when Trump questions whether Obama is really a Muslim or whether he's really born in the United States, that's a kind of code or covert. Racism that doesn't focus particularly on the fact that he's African American, but that's what people hear.
0: That's right. Um, I think that the the colloquial term for it is a dog whistle. Although I think the Obama is actually a secret Muslim or is a foreigner is a bit louder than a dog whistle.
2: Well, it's a it's a it's a white working class whistle, I guess, is what it is. And it's interesting. I mean, this so much of this follows comes out of. Uh, the the Richard Nixon Southern strategy, Jamel, said to, to white working class, class people, you're paying taxes and these poor black people, poor people and, and black people are getting the benefits. Government spending the money on them rather than you. And that was sort of what drove the resentment. How has that changed with Trump? Is that his message to the white working class? I think it's
0: something a little different, although I think it's a kind of a species of the same kind of message. What Trump is saying to his supporters is when you were younger, you know, when it was your parents' generation, America was, quote, winning. And America worked for people like you. But now uh, our leaders are doing nothing but immigration. They're doing nothing but Muslims. Um, Obama's in the White House, and we're not winning anymore. Um, and that, I think, it's easy to read that. It's just sort of being. Um, luster, but I I tend to read it as a statement of how people perceive their social status relative to everyone else. Um, They see a diversifying country, Um, they see a country that's just been through a lot of economic problems, they see that the kind of status that their parents and grandparents held were, as long as they did what they were supposed to do, they would come up if not on top, then someplace reasonably secure. All of that is going away. And all of that is tied in the United States very intimately to being white. For most of this country's history, being white was one of the things that didn't guarantee success, but it precluded a certain level of um, uh, social stigma, a certain level of um, social isolation. And that's no longer the case, Um, even if it even ever was. The case, but for I think for a lot of Americans it was. But now it definitely is not true, and all of that is just producing a lot of anger that Trump I think um, is picking up on.
2: So first the government safety net frayed, and now the safety net of white privilege is fraying. Right, right. Just as the last. Question: Jamel, you've been going to these Trump rallies. What does it feel like as an African American journalist? You're you're a member of at least two categories of people who might feel unwelcome around Donald Trump supporters.
0: You know, at first, like I went to a Trump rally last year in Dallas, Texas, and that was that was actually you know it was kind of this weird carnival atmosphere. Um, it's only been the last month since Trump has been winning. Interestingly enough, that. The rallies has taken on a more sinister and dangerous-feeling sense. So the handful of events I went to in Las Vegas um, during the Nevada primary, uh, there were, the, one of those was the one when Trump, where Trump said he wanted to punch a protester in the face. And when he said that, you know, I felt unsettled by the level of enthusiasm for it. So it seems it's just getting worse.
2: Uh, well, Jamal, I really want to thank you for being our guest today on TrumpCast.
0: Uh, Thank you for having me. Hopefully I can be on again
2: sometime soon. You definitely can. Sooner the better. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. Thank you to my first guest, Jamel Bowie. Check out his article on Slake.com, How Trump Happened. And I want to thank Gabriel Roth for voicing at real Donald Trump's tweets. And thanks to you for listening to our first episode of Trumpcast. I hope we're not doing this show too much longer, but we'll be here as long as the Donald is. Help spread the word by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. This is a new podcast, so make sure to subscribe so you get every episode as soon as it comes out. You can subscribe in iTunes or wherever you're listening. This show is produced by Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Every show will end with something about Donald Trump that made us laugh. Let's go out today with this Saturday Night Live clip about Ben Carson getting punched in the face at a Trump rally. I'm Jacob Weisberg. I'll talk to you on the next Trump Cast.
0: It's okay, I'm fine. <laughs> Guys, what did I
1: say? Not this one! <laughs> this is one of the good ones. <laughs> And to the
0: media, please don't use this as an excuse to call me racist. Donald's actually got a lot of black friends. Omarosa, Dennis Rodman. (laughs) The list goes on. Mike Tyson. The list ends. (laughs) Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?